This exhortation was brought to you by the Light Bearers, bringing light until there's no more darkness. Just this simple act of saying, I believe in Jesus, I believe he died for me. He puts an estimate that it's that it's so great that it cannot be it cannot be quantified. He said, How can we neglect so great a salvation? Now, how can we neglect it? You know, Peter defines as our faith as something that is worth more than gold. He says it's worth more than gold. He says that we're that that we're purchased by the blood of Christ that does not perish like gold and silver. He puts an estimate on the, the worth of what Jesus has done. You know, if, someone, you know if, if they could put a monetary value to the salvation of one soul, <laughs> it would crash the New York Stock Exchange or the Nasdaq. I mean, we are wealthy. The worth of a man who believes in Jesus, he is wealthy. He is, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a man who discovered the great land and saw that there was treasure in it. And he went back and sold all that he had just to purchase that land because of the treasure within it. So Corinthians 4 says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. It says that the excellency may be of God and not of men. It says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So all of you, like all of us, no matter how you look, we are precious. We are precious before God. But on our own, we are precious because God has made us precious. There is a song that says, something more than gold, something more than gold. The spirit of God in the life of a man or a woman, it is something more than gold. What is the most expensive object in the world today? Someone has said it's, it's, a, it's a stone or a moon rock that some NASA explorers got from the moon and they brought to the earth. It, I think that's the most expensive object par, I think per kilogram, I don't know what it is. But I think it's the man in Christ. I think it's these earthen vessels that we are that that harbors the spirit of God. We are the most priceless and the most expensive objects in the world today. That's why it's kind of worried when the believer says they have no self-esteem or they are shy. No, you are priceless before God. So when we come together to study, to fellowship and to pray, it's because we are trying to mine out what God has given us. The Paul Timothy says, he says, give yourself holy to these things that your profiting may appear to all. Hallelujah. You know what oil explorers do? It takes lots of money to drill before they finally find natural gas or oil. Because they know the worth. They know the, 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 the monetary worth of what they are digging for. There's a glory within which the world must see. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men. That all men shall see you and give glory to your Father, which is, to your father and give praise to your Father which is in heaven. There's a light that God has given us. In, in Isaiah, it talks about the light of Christ. He says that on that day, in Zion, he says, the sun shall be ashamed. I mean, the light within us will make the sun ashamed. And let me explain what it means for the sun to be ashamed. You know, your phone screen has a light. And it's only bright indoors or at night. Once you take it on that sunlight, it becomes dark. You have to use your hand to cover it. Or you have to turn off the daylight mode of the screen light. At that moment, the light of your phone is ashamed. It cannot stand side by side with the light of the sun. So it looks, what looks bright inside? looks dim outside, you understand? That's the comparison between your electric lights and the day natural light. So the Bible says in that, they say the sun shall be ashamed from the light that will come out of us. That is the worth and the, the, the brilliance of the light that we have, even now as we speak. Hallelujah. So no study of God's word is a waste of time. 
No flesh for the spirit is a waste of time. We are, we are, we are dwelling in things that are, that are priceless. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, somebody said something, I think it was loud. He said, prayer is the most efficient use of time. And by prayer, I mean fellowship, worship, meditating on God's word. It is the most efficient use of time. It is the most profitable use of time. Because of what is being studied, because of what is being looked at, because of the result that we follow after. Hallelujah. I know when we study God's word and we pray and we try to do all these things so that we can grow spiritually, we are, we are telling God thank you. One of the ways you can tell someone who gave you a gift thank you is by adorning what they have given you. It's by putting it on. When you buy a wristwatch for your wife, you want her to wear it to church. It's a form of gratitude when, when you put on what God has given you. So Paul writes and says, put on the new man, which after God is created in, in, in righteousness and true holiness. He says, put on the new man. Let us put on display what God has given unto us. Or else it will be a bad investment. Or it will be, there will be, a, how do I put it, there will be a very low return on investment on God's part. God has spent himself on us. He has given us his spirit. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Hallelujah. So when we come together, it is never a waste of time. You are worth more than gold. Hallelujah. What God has done, it is worth more than gold. Praise God. So we are talking about in a story in the book of um, in Mark 5, chapter 16, and I'll read. It was on one of Jesus' journeys and trails. You know, Jesus walked the streets. The Bible says the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He was always outdoors, moving out from door to door, or from city to city, preaching the gospel, preaching about the kingdom, and touching men everywhere. So there's this story that happened, that happened in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 5. It's the story of when he, the woman with the issue of blood, I don't know why, why we keep calling her that, we, we have named her by her ailments, the woman with the issue of blood. Mark chapter 5, verse 16. Um, so he says, and the Okay, let me get it properly. Is it Mark 5, 16? Verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by sheep onto the other side, more people gathered by him, and he was near up to, up to the sea. And verse 22 says, as he was teaching, a man named Jairus came to him and said, and saw him and fell at his feet. And besought him greatly, saying, my little daughter lied at the point of death. His daughter was sick. And almost dead and said please please come and lay hands on her that she may be healed and jesus quickly abandoned what he was doing and followed him to his house um by the time he, he he was on the way now as he was going people followed him and defrauded him and a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many years many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was never better but rather she grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, listen, verse 27 says, when she had heard of Jesus, she heard of him. She came in the press behind and touched his garment. She came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be made whole. Other books say, but she said within herself, that if I touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Now, picture this. There's a crowd. Jesus is on the way to heal another, another person. This woman heard of Jesus. Now, there's a difference between hearing of Jesus and what he had done. She had heard of Jesus. But at this time, she was passing by. So she came out from her place and she pressed within the crowd and said, 
if I will just touch the hem, the skirt of his garment, if I can just touch it. Now, Tani Wachi said, if I can touch the hem of his garment, because she wasn't allowed in public, right? And her goal was to quickly touch it and run away, because by the law, she was unclean. Now, women, even when they were not sick or when they were not bleeding, as long as they were going through their monthly discharge, the law said they were unclean. But she was having discharge every day. She was sick, was an affliction. So even by default, she was supposed to be out. So she was thinking she would just touch him and she would just go back. So she said within herself that if I would touch the hem of his garment, I would be healed. But something strikes me here because the previous says when she heard of him, that's when she came out. She heard of him and she had faith. Now, when she did, Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciple said, how can many, many people are around you? Don't ask such questions. And he said, no, somebody touched me for virtually left me. Then he said, oh, your then he said, daughter, thy faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. So she was healed in that moment. Well, let me tell you something that happened here. She heard of Jesus. She heard of Jesus. Now, the title of my message is Faith Which Walketh by Love. Now, let me open to the book of... of um, I'll open to James chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. The Apostle James writes, he says something important here. James chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. He says, knowing this, that, no, I think it's, no, that's faith worketh by, and he says, um, faith worketh, he says, um, faith worketh patient. No, it's, I think Galatians 5, 6, I'm sorry. Chapter 5. Paul speaking to them, there was, was an argument about um, the circumcision. He said, <laughs> he said, Behold, I pause unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Circumcised is just a reference point to the law, to the old covenant. He says, If you are thinking by obeying the law and by cutting yourself, Christ shall profit you nothing. He says, For I testify again to every man that circumcised is a debtor to the whole law. He can't even fulfill it. He said, Christ has become of no effect unto you. For, whos, for whosoever of you thinks he's justified by doing his works, you are falling from grace. He says, for we through the spirit, spirit with for the hope of righteousness by faith. So he said, the man is declared right, pleased with God because he believes in him, because he believes in God. Then verse 7 says, first, verse 6 says, for in Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, doesn't profit anything. I mean, the law doing good doesn't profit anything. No, circumcision is not what you do or what you don't do. He says, but faith, which walketh by love. He's saying faith is made alive by love. So it's like saying faith is like a, is like a clock that works, but the engine beneath it is love. So love is what engineers faith. Now, which love? The consciousness of God's love towards you. You know, people have said your faith is not working because you are not loving. He says if you don't if you don't forgive, that means your faith is not working. No, that's not what it means. He says faith worketh by love. Faith is made alive by a consciousness of God's love towards you. Faith is made alive when you understand and you are rooted in the grace of God towards you. Let me say something. The domineering message of all of God's truth is that God loves us. It is the fragrance of every prophecy. It is the aroma of every utterance, of every instruction given by God, of every book, of every counsel is that God loves me. When you hear from the lips of God, what you live, 
no matter what has been said to you from God himself, he says, God loves me. See what David said. He says, thy rod and thy staff, they bring me comfort. I am assured with that. Everything that God has said in his word, through the prophets, the sum total of his message to us is that he loves us. And that is the harbinger of faith. That is the mother of faith. Grace, the knowledge of God's grace towards us is what birth faith in our heart. Romans says, he says, how can they hear if there's no preacher? He says, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the message of Christ or by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the word of God. So faith is birthed by the message of God's love towards us. The Bible says that. He says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Every message that God has said, the, 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 the total, the afterthought, the afterthought and the, and, and the aftertaste is that God loves us. So what did that woman hear of Jesus? She heard of his love. I'll explain to you. See, Jesus healed lepers. And that was very uncanny. That was very weird. He wasn't supposed to do that. You weren't supposed to touch lepers. Even the prophets did not. It's not even about healing them. The mere fact that you go to meet them is not allowed. Because lepers were considered unclean, just like that woman. And they were cast out towards the outskirts of the city. So for you to even heal them, you have to go alone. That's why many of Jesus' encounters with the lepers, there, were no, there, there was really no crowd around him. Because no one went to such places. So they were cast outside the city. And the medical care was primitive. There was no vaccine. There was no, there was no care for lepers. So they were cast outside. So they didn't even believe that anybody would come to them. See, but Jesus went and cleansed the lepers. He touched them even before they were healed. That mere act of thinking of them was a demonstration of God's love. And he touched them and he cleansed them. This woman heard of Jesus. She heard that this man touched anybody. She heard that this man, people came to him and he didn't turn anybody back. See what, see what the Bible says. The Bible says that, he says that, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. He says, for he that comes to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The word rewarder means remunerator. It means someone that gives liberally. Someone that pays. Like he's paying for nothing. So he's saying that each one, them that must come to God must know that he is first and that too he's a rewarder, he's kind to those that seek him. Because in those days, there was some who was a free giver, right? People sought such a fellow who was wealthy and who gave liberally, a man who was hospitable. But sometimes these guys had limits, right? Or they vetted those that came to them. But this uh, God, he's a rewarder, a remunerator of them that seek him. Of those that those that go to him, so he defines faith as a consciousness of the fact that God does not turn back, that He is love, or that God loves us. So faith, or the spirit of faith, is deeply rooted in the consciousness and knowledge that God loves me. That and, and see, and this love is a, is, is a love of loyalty, a love of faithfulness. That God is faithful towards me. That God is faithful to me. You've not heard that before, right? No, that God is faithful, that God hears me. God loves me. The message of faith and even the whole message of salvation is rooted in that fact. It is the defining message. It is the Rosetta Stone of the gospel message. 
that God loves man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Hallelujah. So that was what the woman heard. That God loves her. That Jesus loved people. That thought that he loves me is what drove her out. So faith is birthed when we, when we are conscious of the facts that God loves us. See, if you receive any message or any prophecy from anybody and it leaves you with a sense of bitterness and distantness towards God and you now begin to be double-minded of, what, of how God sees you, it's not from God. You see, guilt and sin consciousness, it repels faith. They, are, they, 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 they repel themselves. Thank you.